Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 51. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. Don't forget to grab your subscription at rootlessliving.com. Today I'm talking to Caitlin, half of the duo behind Runaway Must Bus, and this episode is jam-packed with so much on how one very unique family went full-time, and you have to hear about the time they were accused of being Antifa. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Caitlin to the show. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really good. I appreciate you uh, finding a quiet little space to be able to talk to me today. And we'll get into why you had to find a little quiet space. But <laughs> before we get rolling, do you consider yourself a full-time, sometime, part-time? We are definitely full-time. No ties anywhere, not even a storage unit. That's amazing. And how long have you been full-time? And when did you guys start? We've been full-time about 18 months now. And then before that, we were part-time for six months. Nice. Okay. Well, that's kind of cool. We'll definitely want to talk about the difference. But I think just because you dropped it a little as we were getting ready for the show, what are you traveling in? This sounds really interesting. So I like to call her the zombie apocalypse bus. She is a lifted 18-foot short schoolie. And that is what we shove our whole family. I have two kids and a puppy and a husband and we sort of make it work. (laughs) That's amazing. I also want to point out, I do this every once in a while if you've listened to the show, the order of importance. It was two kids, it was a puppy, and then it was a husband. So I just want to make sure (laughs) it happened. I had a couple on the show, they were like naming off their pets before they did their kids. And I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. So that's really good. Now, I've looked into some schoolies and I think the schoolie you have, and I don't know enough about them, but it sounds like it's the ones that they used in kind of rural areas that could have snow. And I feel like I've seen those a bunch where it's, you know, they're not picking up a ton of kids originally, but they have to have it kind of four by-ish to get through snow kind of weather. I actually haven't heard of those, but that sounds really cool. From what I learned about her history, we bought her from this guy down in Southern California, and he was a really big sort of like car guy. And he just buys all these random sort of cars. Like I think he just bought a VW last week, and he likes to just trick them out. And so he bought this school bus and just um, him and his dad just decided to put on these massive shocks and these double wheels and just lift the whole thing just for fun. And so we bought the bus like that from him. And then we built out kind of fast and dirty the inside to make it livable. Before we get ahead, let's go back two years. So before you were even part-timing it, and you didn't own this rig, or maybe it was a different rig. What did your life look like? Where were you living? You know, what kind of house did you have? That kind of stuff. I think people like the, the before. Tell me a little bit about your life back then. Uh, so two years ago, that would have us be, we were living in Long Beach, California. Um, my husband and I had moved down with our daughter from Seattle. And we moved down because we wanted sunshine and he got a good job. I guess in one retrospect, pretty typical family. Our daughter was eight at the time, two years ago, and she was going to school and we had a like a house in a nice neighborhood. My husband works full time and then I was a stay at home. But kind of the big caveat that makes us a little different is that our daughter, we adopted through foster care up in Seattle. And at this point, we had been doing foster care now for eight years because she was our first placement. And 
at that point in time, we were on our 34th placement from being licensed foster parents up in Seattle and then coming down and working with at-risk families down in Southern California. So two years ago, we had our daughter who was adopted. And then with us was this little boy. And he was, gosh, how old was he? He must have been six. And he had been with us on and off because a lot of times when kids are in the system, they do something called bouncing. So they are reunified to biological parents, but then they come back and then they go back and they go back. And he had been with us since he was nine months, majority of his life. And we had become his legal guardians about three years prior because the last time he had been sort of kidnapped and ended up in the police station and the state finally requested that we become legal guardians to help prevent future events like that. But the court system has always been very biologically inclined, which I understand and I see the merits of it, but I'm sort of biased as well as a foster adoptive mom. And we were working towards They said that he was going to be unified and we were going through the most painful year of our lives where we were saying goodbye to our son. And at the end of the school year, he was going to go live with his mom. And she had made it very clear that she was going to try to sort of erase us from his life so we would never kind of see or hear from him again. So all of this was going on and it was just a very traumatic year and he has special needs. and. It got to the point where we already were super into hiking, super into camping, super into outdoorsy. And I kind of knew about the van life movement. And I think we just kind of over Thanksgiving had hit rock bottom where I couldn't fathom doing this life anymore, saying goodbye to so many children and just go on and live in this house without my son. And so we decided to sell everything and buy a school bus and go travel. But here's the kind of the spoiler alert. It's not all doom and gloom. We did end up going to the courthouse that June. And I had all of his stuff packed in the back of our car. And we were totally anticipating saying our goodbyes. And we had spent the morning crying. And just the whole family was sort of mourning as we were saying goodbye to him. And then after two hours, the judge and all the lawyers and attorneys involved sort of decided that it wasn't safe for him to go home. And his mom wasn't really ready to handle this responsibility. But at that point, we had sold the house, we had sold everything. And we were sitting there going, well, we can't take him back. Like we want to, but we literally are going to get into this bus that's parked outside the courthouse and drive away into the sunset. And they made this special allowance that we got permission to travel out of state with him and remain his legal guardians is something they never do. Usually you have to stay within the county and jurisdiction of whatever your court case is through. And I left the courthouse um, holding the hands of both my children. But there was this sort of when I saw our house sitting there, sort of like, oh, goodness, <laughs> now I have to sort of figure out how to handle a second child now into the school bus because I already figured out like homeschooling for our daughter and sort of how that was going to work. And now I had my son coming along and he um, has some severe medical special needs. And he also has a lot of emotional and development special needs. And so I kind of had to, there was a bit of a panic of, Oh, goodness. So I spent like a week just meeting with all of his doctors and specialists and getting everything figured out. So that long story is sort of what happened two years ago that got us to where we are now. Wow. Sometimes what I like to do is, I mean, obviously, I don't have a story like that in my life. 
but I have these little moments that make me kind of put it to a scale. So I've done a lot of coaching with kids and, you know, you'd have these kids for a season, they leave and they're gone. You really miss them. That's not even anywhere near a child living with me, you know, and then thinking I have to give it up. So I'm able to take this like in my own perspective, okay, here was that kind of sadness and hard thing. It was coaching that I would see a kid two, three times a week and I really won't see him anymore. And I'm thinking as a parent, it's got to be like a 500, a thousand X. So like, it's got to be insane. And then even with the courts, I'm not a fan of courts. I, you know, obviously <laughs> got divorced and I ended up with, you know, custody of all four of my kids so to the point of you saying with foster and adopted parents, the courts don't see it as a priority. I gotta be honest with you, even as the biological father, I wasn't seen as the priority. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's yeah. amazing to me that it's usually the biological mother, no matter who she is, the courts really do favor that, which is bizarre to me. And, and I appreciate you kind of bringing it up, but it did take me back to kind of my own where I had to like remind them, no, 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 I'm the dad. No, 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 I have custody. Yeah, all four, physical. Yeah, they all live with me. Yes. You got that? You figured it out? Like I had to do that with the judges many times. So there is a lot here to unpack. I mean, first of all, I mean, I don't know if kudos is the right word, but all those kids and then to uh, take on two other kids and then obviously to, I mean, it sounds like it was really great news that you guys didn't have a house because if you probably told them, hey, here's something we're going to do in six months or a year, they probably would have said, no, you can't do it. But because you're already, you know, it's already in that situation, they had to kind of comply. It's only 18 feet long, right? That's what you said? Yes, it's 18 feet long. I am horrible at math, but I think I figured out it's like 100 square feet living space. I've always personally been very minimalist minded and trying to do less is more. And like the big reason why we did have a house was purely because of regulations and stipulations by the court. When you're a foster parent, you have to have certain amount of square feet per child and certain rooms per child. And so if it was me, we'd always be tiny living. And it was kind of funny. People would come over and joke and be like, did you guys get robbed? Because I just, we just didn't have a lot of furniture. Most of the time we spent our time outside. I've never been a fan of being indoors, I guess. Yeah. And that's funny that, I mean, I love that you say that it's a joke, but it's not. There's something where people get really triggered when they see someone living, you know, a less is more kind of life. Like they just don't get it and understand it. And they have to joke. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I talk about this all the time. I think the American dream is a joke and the idea of yes. big houses and all this stuff that you don't use and you know, I can't even imagine I'm in 42 feet with one other person and it's not nearly as tiny as it was three years ago, but it's definitely <laughs> tiny, a uh, hundred square feet with, you know, two kids and uh, kudos to you. I mean, I, I wish I had a better word. Right I'm just like, I'm impressed. I think that's amazing. I feel like a part of me is sort of, um, there's a weird neurotic point to it. And uh, growing up, I grew up actually dancing ballet professionally and lived in the suburbs of Florida and we had lots of stuff and I never went outside or hiked. It was all about ballet and sort of definitely that chasing the dream. I always just wanted to have a huge house and be rich when I grew up. And then when I quit ballet and got married and we started doing foster care, I noticed that I started letting go more and more of things and we started getting less and less stuff and where our money started being funneled into 
experiences or time together. Like we spent our money on trips or we spent our money to do like these crazy bucket list things. Because I think what hit me personally, and this isn't true for everyone, was when you lose children that although they aren't born of like my body, but they're like born of my heart, you lose pieces of your heart. You begin to sort of let go of other things. Um, to me, like I don't need, I will wear the same pair of clothes for a week because clothes don't hold as much importance to me as that I've lost so much other stuff. It just changes your priorities. And then I have this weird thing where when we do become stationary again or homestead, I still want a small space because I hate it in our house. Anyone being in any other room, I want us always to be kind of near each other because there's a part of me that always wants to feel close to my family. And maybe that's some weird psychological fear of losing them. And so I definitely like the idea of, well, I just want to make sure I can kind of always know where you are. I just hate the way that some families kind of have structured where everyone has their own room and their own devices and their own tablets and they go and they shut the doors and they go and watch their own television shows and that connection with humans. And I don't know if people realize it, the connection with your children is so vital and it can go away so quickly. I mean, even if you're not a foster care or adopted parent, like they grow up and they leave or something happens or... It's just when you lose something like that, I think it just makes you realize just how important it is. You don't take it that much for granted anymore. And so I don't really think everyone should do this type of life. It's very painful, but it's also very, it helps you sort of change the way you look at the world. Like, I feel like I see more beauty because I have seen more hurt and suffering. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, really, you know, I talk about the RV life and, you know, even like you're bringing up the foster side of things. I think if there's things that we could experience at a younger age, it really does change us. And, you know, I mean, I'll be 50 next year and there's so much in me that I wish I would have done at least like a year of what I'm doing now when I was in my twenties. I think it really would have straightened me out in regards to what my priorities were kind of moving forward. And and you do bring up an interesting kind of fun thing that I haven't thought about in a while was before getting divorced, we could, you know, all six of us could sleep in one room and no one would say a thing. But as soon as you get into the court systems and you have a daughter that's over 10 or, you know, whatever the rules were, you had to have a different house. They like literally define that you have to have certain rooms. And I'm thinking to myself, remember the Brady Bunch? The three brothers lived <laughs> in one room. The three girls lived in one room and they shared a bathroom. You know, that's the miracle of the Brady Bunch is they had whatever, eight kids and only two bathrooms. And it's funny to me that, uh, again, I was an only child. So I always had my own room or at least a closet that my parents made into a room. But all my friends had to share rooms. Like nobody had their own space. And I feel like now with my friends, when they have three kids, they have a five bedroom house. You know, so every kid has his own space and, you know, there's an office. And it's weird that you bring that up. I'm thinking that is a weird thing that we've changed. We didn't do that before. We do that now, though. We give our kids their own little, hate to say cells, but we give them our own little cells where they go to and they, you know, they're just by themselves. So that is, I love that idea of if you do get a, you know, a homestead that it'll be a big open space. And that makes me think, so one of the regulations and rules is that every foster child has to have a right to their own room that has a lock. So they are allowed to lock you out. And I remember the first thing I did when I found that out was I taught myself how to pick locks. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm gonna let my child like, 
lock them in their room, you know? Some of the rules are kind of interesting and they don't make sense. I have all bunch of tangents about the bureaucracy system that is right now and how messy it is. So for sure. I do too. And I think about like, you know, as I lived for three years, pulling a 42 foot fifth wheel that I did absolutely no training. I didn't take even a class. I didn't even have to fill out a form online. I just basically went, put on the back of this, you know, 16,000 pound thing on the back of my truck and just started driving. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this could have had a class behind it. I'd have been okay. <laughs> a little, little education would have been smart here. You know, the, the lock on a kid's door, we could remove that policy and let's get more people to get some training in regards to pulling rigs. Did you have any um, like RV experience obviously before you got the schoolie or is it more just like real camping? No, we just real camped. Um, and we actually had just started camping only a couple of years before that. We had moved to California and everyone there is really into outdoors hiking industry. And they were like, go to Hawaii. Because I before thought like, why do people walk in the outdoors? That sounds really boring to me. And then we went to Hawaii and we hiked to this waterfall. And then as soon as we got home, I was like, this is what we're doing now. And I'm a pretty passionate person. And when I started to get my idea on something, I just go full throttle. And I had never been RVing. I don't really like long drives. So it was kind of ironic in a lot of different ways. But it really made sense. And I really love it. I think, you know, sometimes with the schooly sort of community, there's, I feel like there's a few different facets of it. And there's one facet where they spend a really long time building it out and they create these just drop dead gorgeous, beautiful homes. And it's a lot of focuses on like, look at what we created. It's really beautiful. And they like to sort of go and, you know, they stay at different areas for more long periods of time, like a month or so. And then there's the other types where I like our house. It's not fancy. It's more practical. It's very minimalist. It's kind of more stripped down. It doesn't have a lot of the extra luxuries, but we move a lot. Our home was definitely designed to get us out into the empty spaces. We probably don't like to spend more than like a week in certain places. We usually boondock or um, we've never stayed at a paid campsite. And that sort of is how we sort of do it. So I didn't have any experience with RVing, but I definitely had a lot of experience in living and hiking and exploring. And that has always been sort of the motivation behind it was what cool, wondrous mountains and places can we go? Like we put together this bucket list as a family of all these crazy things we wanted to do. And then we've just been trying to do it. It's sort of had to adjust a little bit since COVID shut a lot of things down, but we still sort of are trying to fulfill that bucket list. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm really impressed with the not staying in like a paid campground, but I also always want to ask the question, is that also because, I mean, I hear kind of the rumor sometimes that modified school buses aren't allowed in a lot of campgrounds. They're not really considered an RV, some weird insurance thing or something. Or is it just a pure choice where, you know what, we, we're not on the road to be at campgrounds. We really just want to be out in the sticks. I think it's a combination of both. I have heard that too. And I also, um, just for like, sometimes if we were desperate and we can't find anywhere, I have looked at different like KOA websites and they do require your RV or your, cause we actually do have it licensed as an RV. We were able to get that. That's like the coveted insurance goal. And we did that. We have it licensed as that. We had to just sort of do the checklist at the DMV. 
it's an old school bus. It's like a, I think it's a 97. And most places, they don't want anything older than like a 2015. So they won't even allow us on it. I've also known friends who have paid for everything, been very upfront with what type of vehicle they have. They pull up and the camp host is just like, nope, you can't stay here. So I don't know, for whatever reason, schoolies get a bad rap, but... I have seen some of the most drop-dead gorgeous schoolies and it kind of baffles me. Ours definitely probably would be rejected by many places because it really does look like we're preparing for zombies to come somewhere. Oh, I kind of, (laughs) it's a little rabbit hole-ish, but I have sort of a, a not funny, but we try to laugh about it story about the way our bus looks. So we were up in Coeur d'Alene. We parked, usually a lot of times we'll park the bus somewhere and then we take our car to go up into the mountains. And we parked our car like by this Walgreens that was closed because this was back when a lot of places were still very shut down. But the Black Lives Matter movement and protests had just started that week. And so we parked the bus there, not really thinking anything of it at this Walgreens parking lot. And then we drove out for the day to go spend the day kind of hiking with as a family. Now, when we came back, there was a protest going on at that same parking lot that we didn't didn't really have any idea anything about it. And these men who had fully loaded um, semi-automatics had been on the, the roof of the Walgreens with their snipers and targets on our bus. And so what happened is they followed us because we stopped at this rest stop for dinner to sort of like just make dinner and stretch before we were going to get on the road. And they came up to our bus and they had been following us all day. And they basically told us with their guns that if we don't get out of town, that they were going to make sure that they make us leave town because they said that we were like Antifa because of the way our bus looked and that we were coming in just to cause trouble in their small little Coeur d'Alene, Idaho town. And so that, I don't know, that's sort of a random story, but it kind of explains why I don't think our bus would be welcome at campsites because we didn't have anything to do with it. And I remember being like pointing inside and like, that's my like seven-year-old and 11-year-old. We're just a family. We just happen to be in the same place. Uh, we don't have any plans to destroy your quaint little town. We just went hiking for the day. But I think a lot of people like to judge on appearances. And so sometimes you get kind of comments that we're like hippies or tra- here to cause trouble. Uh, we've gotten knocks on the doors by police officers because we look suspicious or people call the cops on us. But it's just, it's really fascinating because I think if you just judge us by appearance, I don't think you really know a lot of the backstory of what we've been through in that. We're not, you know, we're just a family just exploring the world. So that's really funny. Do you still have California license plates on the bus? No, we actually, we switched them to Oregon. So California has some of the strictest DMV stuff. So we have it through Oregon. And that's also where our like um, traveling mailbox official residency is through. And I, Oregon is more lax. Like we only have to get it renewed every two years. We didn't have to do a smog test. And we were able to sort of fulfill all the requirements of what makes a vehicle an RV versus just a vehicle. And that is what we went through. I was just thinking about also they ha- Like that's probably, if it's California, Oregon, or really any West Coast plates, I feel like... They hate us. Oh, they make the worst assumptions. You know, they're just being kind of... I I hate to say, you know, there's bad and good everywhere, but they're really getting brainwashed on who the people are that are leaving these areas. And I always laugh because I've had these conversations. I have South Dakota plates, but, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. I spent 40 years of my life, you know, in Los Angeles and obviously Orange County. 
when you said Long Beach, I have a 562 area code still, you know, from my cell phone, <laughs> you know, which was a Long Beach area code growing up. Like, yeah. I'm so mad that I wasn't getting a 213 for myself. <laughs> so diehard LA. But it is funny that you've had that experience because I've actually, you know, I don't think I've talked about it on the show. I've kind of had the opposite. You know, here I am, this, you know, West Coast kid. I've got this big beard and, you know, both my arms are completely covered in tattoos. And I've had moments where I've been in areas that, let's just say that they maybe only like the same color that they see in the mirror. And because of the tattoos and the big beard, I think they think I'm one of them in a way, you know what mm. I mean? Like, Hey, let's go talk to this guy. He'll probably like to come to this, like, you know, they, I'll use the term rally, but let's just say that you know, people might want you to wear white sheets kind of a thing. And I'm like, bro, you got the wrong guy. Like they make us yeah. the reverse way too, which is really funny. And I'm like, that ain't me, bro. You, you, you want to keep going. You want to keep moving. But I'd have been a little terrified, even as a big man, if I would have walked back to my RV and see people like judging me and telling me to get out of town and having weapons. That's a scary It was point. truly terrifying. Oh, I, yeah. It was, it. I actually have a bunch of tattoos and I have hand tattoos and I have um, like a facial piercing and a nose ring. Part of it, it's been interesting because you talk about appearance is that one of the things that I sort of appreciate the fact that I look different is because whenever I would go into like a child protective service office or meet with a birth parent, as soon as they saw me, there was sort of an, the social workers always assumed I was there because my child got taken. But then the birth parents were just sort of, they automatically, I felt like I was able to make connections with them, which has helped me stay in contact with a lot of our children. Because I tried to form friendships with these women because a lot of times kids get into foster care out of like a, a, like a, historical cycle like they themselves are in foster care how can they possibly know anything different they weren't loved so they might not be able to love in the same sort of quality that we expect of a parent and so there was an instant sort of like the defenses go down and I become like one of them and I remember I was driving one there was a mom and she had four kids and we took care of them. And I was driving her to a visit to see her children. And it was like a three hour drive and she couldn't get to visit to see the children. So I volunteered to drive three hours one way to pick her up and then to the visit and then back because I I thought it was really important for her to stay bonded. And she was going on and this was a couple of years ago about white supremacy. And at that time, I didn't really know anything about it. I feel like I've been educated much more this year with everything that's happening. And and I remember sitting there and after like an hour of it, I turned to her and I go, you do realize that I'm so white. I'm see-through. I have freckles. I grew up in a white family. I married a white man. I was like, I, like, I hear everything you're saying, but I, you, I don't know how to connect with that. And she said the funniest thing to me. She goes, oh, you're like a black woman to me. You're fine. And so there's a sense of like, there's appearances that has my appearances are the choice to get like, I have a tattoo of a fat unicorn on my hand. Like the choices to do some random stuff like that has helped me in the arena where I feel like my sort of like life ministry is. But then at the same time, it, I get the dirtiest looks from like old church ladies. <laughs> like I like to call them because they assume that I'm just like this drug drinker, but I've been sober now for 11 years. So it's like, ah, you know, why don't you just have a conversation with me? Cause I might be a lot more presentable in my actions than I am with my tattoo. <laughs> so I like, yeah. I like the little, little, little rabbit trail we're on. That's different than some of the other podcasts, because I do agree. There's this, I mean, we're taught to literally judge books by their cover, 
Like that's what we're talking mm-hmm. when I'm talking about physical books. Like, you know, we do it now with videos, you know, people put so much time into the thumbnails. Like that's the mm-hmm. most important thing is the cover. But, you know, to, to re basically train someone to understand you can't do that by what they look at, because really there were moments where I was putting on long sleeves to go to court or to do a job interview. And I'm like, my tattoos don't make me a bad person. Why do I have to hide it? And it really, there was so much shame in it. It was weird where I was like, this has more to do with you than me because they're dentists with tattoos. You know what I mean? There are principals with tattoos. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty common now. I, I could get it 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago for sure. But today it makes absolutely no sense. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of fun. And one of the things that I've talked about that I think is the funniest thing for me, especially when I let people know that I'm originally from California. And I talk about, let's say I want to buy property someday in Texas or Oklahoma. And they always say to me, well, you can come to Texas, but leave California, you know, back in California. <laughs> and the people that say that to me are not from either Texas or Oklahoma. They've like, they've moved from another state. And it's, that's the funniest thing where I'm like, bro, you're not even like a Texan. You moved from Delaware, you know, and you live in Texas now. And you're telling <laughs> me to not stop it. Like that's, it's just a weird kind of side note that I love that we're getting into. and. Yeah, I kind of. Yeah, that's funny. So, with a raised schoolie, though, and you said a car, is it a just you know kind of an odd question? Is it a towed? Are you driving two separate vehicles when you guys are moving from spot to spot? We drive two separate vehicles. I usually drive the Subaru, and then we have walkie talkies so that we can talk to each other. And it kind of helps. We like to separate the kids because they, um, even though they're not biologically related at all, they definitely fight like typical siblings. And so sometimes it's nice to separate them. And or if one of us needs a break, it's been a rough day since they both sort of, they have their own little special needs and they've been through a lot of stuff. So they're, they're quirky little kids. And so if one of us needs a break, we can have some quiet time. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like a, it's like a, a Trojan timeout. They don't realize that they're even, Oh, it's cool. No, I want to go with mom. No, I want to go with dad. They don't realize I used to do this thing with my kids. Do you want to wear the red pajamas or the green pajamas? And they'd be like, Ooh, I want to <laughs> and it, they didn't realize I was telling them it's time for bed. You know, I yeah. used to tell them go put your pajamas on. They would scream. But once you start learning little mind tricks you can do with your kids like that, and it's like, yeah. now they're like, I'm a big person. I'm picking my PJs. They don't realize they're going to the <laughs> Let's uh, transition the work a little. What are you guys doing for uh, work on the road? So my husband is a, an electrical engineer, and he does that through a consulting firm in Long Beach. He works completely remote and he designs power and lighting systems. His biggest focus and clients are for schools. So... All of the new schools being built in Southern California and most of the colleges down there, he has had his hand in of designing the buildings and upgrading. And then I do some freelance writing where I write, I'm a contributor to a couple blogs where I just write about outdoor stuff. But I mostly just, you know, hike around and live off my sugar daddy. So that's kind of what I do. (laughs) But that's my main income is definitely from my husband's job. (laughs) I think it's, you know, when, when people talk about, how do I say this politically correct? (laughs) (laughs) People talk about things getting better or back to when things were good. You know, one of the things I think about is where it only takes one income to support a family. And when I think back historically, where it doesn't matter to me if it's the the husband or the wife that goes into work. But the idea, you know, I was a latchkey kid. 
and time plus opportunity mm. plus trouble, no matter who you are. And I fully believe in that. And I love that my parents were hard workers and got into the television industry and worked their way up. But I look back at the generation before me and there was usually a parent home. You know, I mean, like one of my bosses said that he had three hot meals a day. Like his mom literally brought him a hot lunch to school. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just different kind of times. And so when I do hear people making this transition, a lot of times there is where it's, you know, if one person has a really good income, there isn't really a reason for the second person to work, especially when kids are involved. And I like that. I like hearing that. You know, I know you make the little sugar daddy joke, but, uh, you know, probably taking care of two kids and doing school and especially, you know, dealing with a, a child with special needs, that's, that's a full-time gig. And if any dad out there wants to experience that, if you haven't for some reason, because I used to hate when people would say, hey, so you're, uh, you're going to babysit the kids tonight? So, you know, me and your wife can go out. I'm like, dude, I'm not babysitting my kids. These are my kids. I'm raising them. But when I got custody of them, that's a whole different level. Like that's where it's like, oh, wait, not having a partner is really, you know, it's bananas trying to do this solo. So I get it. Yeah. I love, I love that you guys have the remote work. Um, something I like to do where I haven't done it in a while and I don't want you to get into the specifics. So I always use like the hundred dollar kind of analogy. If living in Long Beach cost you a hundred dollars a month to live, what does this new life do you think cost you if you had to reduce it percentage wise? So the hundred is the uh, percent that was, you know, Long Beach. What is it now? Do you think? Oh my goodness, probably like five dollars. Yeah. Long Beach is extremely expensive, <laughs> and we definitely have been very blessed. Originally, we thought we had a house, and we were selling it, and we had, you know, a good chunk of equity off of it, and we were just sort of, sort of live off the equity until we had no money because we didn't think my husband's career translated well into remote is because usually he would have to go out to job sites, move clients. And so he told his job and he had been working there for, I think five years at the time that he was doing this and they, and we just thought we're like, Oh, we're just going to tell him we're going to quit. It's been a great run. When we settle down again, he can just sort of pick it back up. His degree is really valuable in that way. And his job completely surprised us. And they were like, well, what if we just give you a laptop and a cell phone and a Wi-Fi access? And, you know, we maybe tailor you down where you have different roles and responsibilities and you don't work full time. You only work 30 hours, but you still get full life, full on medical insurance. Would you be willing to do that? And it was sort of like Christmas. I remember he came home and I was just shocked of like, you mean we don't have to live off our savings? Because I had, you know, in the back of my head, kind of been worried about that. Like, oh, I don't know if I really like that. So now we have like a lovely savings that we can put into a, like a property. I really want to buy a piece of land at some point. And then even though he's making less because he's working less hours it's still, we're able to save each month, which just baffles my mind because I feel like we're living such a much more luxurious life than we were in Long Beach because most of our money was going to our mortgage. And just letting go of that huge chunk of money for this house I didn't really want because I thought it was too big to now I get to go to all these amazing places. We can do all this extra stuff that we couldn't really afford to do before. So I feel like, especially the Long Beach, it's probably like five bucks versus a hundred. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and, and I think too, people ask me all the time is, you know, full-time RVing or living expensive. And I'm always like, well, it depends on where you're coming from. Because mm. there are areas in, you know, our country where it's really affordable to live. 
And so if you're in one mm-hmm. of those areas and you're, you know, you're going to buy a rig and buy a truck and it can be expensive. You're going to stay in campgrounds all the time, that kind of a thing. You're going to travel yeah. a lot. Diesel gets expensive. So it really is, you know, kind of, it, it really is. It depends on where you're coming from is the best thing I like to ask people. But, you know, I understand Long Beach really well. And I was like, that's oh, kind of probably going to be an interesting conversation for you. So that's really great that, you know, that they were able to reduce his hours, but it still really fits kind of your guys' needs. I love that Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, just came out recently and talked about how impressed he's been with remote work results and that they're looking at, you know, keeping a big ton of their workforce on remote. So I think you'll see a pretty big exodus out of California for those people that were living there that were forced to go into an amazing office that just don't have to anymore. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, let's get into Explore. I know you talked about it a little today. It sounds like as a as a kid, you're a little bit of a homebody if you weren't at the dance studio. And then as an adult, you've kind of gotten the bug. What What are some of your favorite things to do now as a family in regards to exploring? What do you guys like to do? We, well, we're big mountain junkies. At least I am. So we love climbing mountains. We're gotten into this year pretty heavily rock climbing, especially when COVID shut down indoor rock gyms. Because before we had just done a little bit of indoor rock climbing, we sort of taught ourselves and now do outdoor rock climbing a lot. One of my favorite memories from this past year is we actually went ice climbing up in Banff last year in December. So I think rock climbing, hiking, climbing mountains trail running. That's sort of the big things that we do. I would love to get more into mountaineering. That's my next sort of goal on the list. And I'm kind of toying with the idea of like, oh, can we teach ourselves how to mountain bike? But I think I'm scared that I'm going to fall and break all my teeth. So I might not do that ever. (laughs) I think, yeah, if you, you know, tattoos and no teeth, that's not a good look. (laughs) You think you're being judged now. You don't look <laughs> all downhill when that it, happens. <laughs> it's funny. I was such a daredevil, you know, from motorcycles to ATVs to even bikes. And the more and more I'm living this lifestyle, and I, I see a you know an, a friend that you know ruptures an Achilles or blows out a knee doing something, I'm just like I don't want to stop what I'm doing. That that extra little adrenaline, that extra little high, isn't worth it because I mean, if I literally broke my right leg, my driving leg. Uh, we'd be in some trouble, you know what I mean? And it's just not worth it. So I do, I understand what you're saying. I guess I don't think about, I don't have nice enough teeth to really worry about my teeth being messed up. But I do hear where you're coming from, that that stuff is is kind of fun. And I'm glad you guys are out there exploring. So one of the things I like to do when I'm wrapping up the show is do this thing called the high-low. It's something I used to do with my kids that, you know, they're 10 years in range. And I just wanted them to see that no matter where they are in life, that people are going through different kind of very similar things in a way, different but similar. And I think a lot of times with the RV life and the schoolie life, the van life, whatever it is, that if all you're looking at is Instagram, you just immediately assume that everything is, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And what I like to do is, you know, start with the low so we can end with the high. But what's been a low in the last 18 months that maybe you just didn't realize would be a low living on the road? I kind of had this idealistic concept that if we moved into this bus and if we were traveling, doing all these incredible things, it would alleviate or... Like I do firmly believe in the concept of outdoor therapy, but it would sort of make a lot of the issues that my son in particular has easier. I thought he would naturally be happier and not have as many struggles 
And I think there came a point after a few months where I realized that, no, he's still, all those things that he struggled with in that other context are still here. And all I did was shove them into a smaller space. And although I feel like I have seen a lot of growth and we have seen a lot of healing with him, he has a lot of stuff that will probably be a very long road to healing and with him his entire life. And so I think that was the biggest low was sort of that sort of ideal dream. Like you said, when you see Instagram photos or YouTube videos that, oh, well, of course he's going to be happy. Look at the incredible life that we are doing with him and realizing that, no, these things are going to stay with him his entire life. And we're going to still have to work through a lot of special needs that aren't just going to magically go away because you moved into a magic school bus. Right. Oh, that's funny. I mean, literally a magic school. <laughs> I think I think we do that in, and that's what I mean. That's what I love about these high lows is, you know, the low is very similar to like when people say, you know, when we just get that, you know, three bedroom house, our life will be mm-hmm. so much better. When we get the washer and dryer indoors, our life will be so much better. And, you know, my dad used to always talk about, I don't cuss a lot on the show. My dad used to always talk about, if you're an asshole, wherever you go, wherever you go, there's an asshole. That's the kind of thing that just because you change circumstances doesn't mean you change. And it's funny, I battle this with the show and the magazine. People will reach out and say, hey, we full-time RV. Do you want to do a story about us? And I'm like, uh, you full-timing RV doesn't make you interesting. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if I did a magazine on California and you reached out to me and said, hey, we live in California, that doesn't make you interesting. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now tell me what's, you know, different about you in a way and, you know, what you've had to, you know, overcome to be able to live this life. And that's what makes people, their story is what makes them interesting. How you live necessarily doesn't. It's a really unique, cool lifestyle, but it's not a lifestyle that makes you unique and cool, if that makes sense. Yeah. What's, a, what's been a high? What's been one of those, I can't believe this is our life. This is usually one that it's hard for people, but if you can kind of pin it to one where you're just like, I can't believe this is our life. I think the first thing that sort of comes to mind is recently I through hiked the Colorado Trail solo. The family followed along in the bus and they were my little trail angels and I was able to do that trail, which was an incredible experience. But part of it, my son was going, he has these series, what we call spirals, and he was sort of on week three where he just would wake up every day crying and he doesn't talk to us. And he was in the middle of one of those when I was on the trail. And he, But he had come to me when I was home resting off the trail and said, can I do this next section with you? And my initial reaction was, but you've been really hard lately. <laughs> like, how is this going to go? This is not an easy trail. He was going to have to hike 20 miles in one day carrying his backpack. And he's a pretty spectacular hiker. But this is, you know, it, it's a hard thing to do especially since he's seven. And I reluctantly went, okay, we'll try it out. Worst case, worst, we'll backtrack. I'll drop you back off at the bus and I'll just like speed hike through this next 20 miles on my own. But he really wanted to come. And that section, we did it. We did 20 miles the first day and then we camped. And then he did like 11 miles the next day till I could get to a meetup spot. And it was the most incredible time with him. He just continuously impressed me. And I got to see glimmers of who I really feel like he is kind of trapped inside all these protective boundaries he often will hide behind. And it was just 
a wonderful moment, like listening to all these little ramblings of a seven-year-old and really feeling like, you know, this is who he is outside of all the stuff that's happened to him and how incredible of a human he is with everything society and like all the ways I failed him, the way his mom has failed him, the way all of us sort of have not been there for this tiny little child. And that definitely was a super high and made me kind of regain hope because a lot of times when he is going through such a hard time, you lose a lot of hope that it will get better. And there's a lot of worry for him. How is he going to grow up and sort of handle the world if all of this stuff is so hard for him and we're helping him so much. And so that definitely was a high that comes to mind immediately of getting to have this opportunity where not only do I get to hike the Colorado Trail, which is super gorgeous, I get to do it on my own, my family's super supportive, but I also got to have this sort of like time capsule moment where I can kind of think back, especially when things are harder with him that no, he is this incredible son whom I love, who does wonderful things. And there is this bond there that is strong. So that definitely is a high that I can think of. That's an amazing high, actually. There's so much there. That was really good. <laughs> Little teary-eyed, kind of good. You know, <laughs> happy tears. I love that kind of stuff. You know, I love kids being uh, put back into the kind of the priority and having experiences. It's funny. I watch this uh, YouTube channel and it's a farmer. He's a 10-year-old that's like driving the combine and like working on carburetors and like, you know, out in the middle of the morning, deer hunting. And I'm just like, what an amazing different life than what I had at 10 years old. You know, I wasn't working on carburetors. I wasn't driving a combine. I wasn't trying to help get some meat, you know, some deer jerky for the, the season. <laughs> kind of a thing. I just had none of that experience. And he's 10. And I haven't even done that as an adult. I'm like, this is crazy. That was, that was a good, that was a really good high. I want to make sure people know how to reach out to you if you are open with uh, any of your social media. Why don't you go ahead and let people know where they can find you. Folks, you don't have to write this down. I'm going to put it in the show links below. But where can people find you if they want to reach out? The main place to find me right now is on Instagram. It's Runaway Must Bus. And I am in the middle. I'm almost about to launch my first website, but it's not up yet. So... It's a future dream of mine. <laughs> but mainly Instagram is the best way to contact me. That's awesome. Well, Caitlin, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling your story. And you know, just to, to make sure everyone's very clear, she's not part of Antifa. Okay. I want to make sure everyone knows. I know. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Just in case. Yeah. If you see a if you see a zombie kind of bus with Oregon plates, be kind, be nice. They're probably amazing human beings and don't judge people by their plates, by tattoos, by piercings, by the dynamics <laughs> of their family. Get to know people. I think that's the lesson I really hope people take away from this. That yeah, you know, that's what I want to see more of, you know, just kind of in our little world. And hopefully people will, uh, they've heard your story and then maybe they'll react a little different when they see someone that is different than them. And I hope people got that. So really, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, big hugs to the kids, the puppy, and last but not least, to the husband. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was a joy talking to you. Thanks so much. Well, another fun episode. And again, a big thank you to Caitlin for coming on the show and giving us an insider's look at what it took to go full time and share really all the reasons that they made this choice for their family. 
Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your family and friends know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And if for some reason you are a subscriber to the print edition, take a picture of yourself reading the magazine in the wild, use the hashtag Rootless Living, we'll share it as well, and you might even see yourself in the next issue of Rootless Living. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com. Again, that's podcast at rootlessliving.com. And let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.